Well, good morning. It's Pentecost Sunday. And you guess is what I'm preaching on? The Holy Spirit. Yes. Um, that might not, be, might not be a surprise to you, but it was actually a surprise to me because I had a message on my heart for something else. And then they got shuffled around and Stuart said, well, here, have Pentecost Sunday. And I thought, well, I'll just bring the other message to Pentecost Sunday. The Holy Spirit said to me, no, preach on the Holy Spirit. It's Pentecost Sunday. So here I am preaching about the Holy Spirit. So what is Pentecost? Pentecost is an annual anniversary of when the Holy Spirit was poured out in power on the disciples and then therefore onto all persons. Um, is that the first time? I've just realized I didn't have the clicker. It's up there at the desk. It's going to come to me. Is that the first time that the Holy Spirit was seen or heard of? It was, was he like a new idea um, to God? Or has he been around before that? Um, yes, yes. He was, and the click is coming just in time. <laughs> so who or what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God, basically. It's as, he, it's as much God as my arm here is me. Here's my arm, it's me. The Holy Spirit is God. Um, so if he was around before, <coughs> excuse me, if he was around before Pentecost, when did he first turn up? Well, of course, God's been around forever, hasn't he? Um, so he turned up in the beginning. The very first verse of the Bible talks about the creation. Second verse, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He was right there at the start. But, of course, he turns up in power at Pentecost. Does that mean between making the earth and Pentecost, he was kind of being a bit lazy, putting his feet up, not really doing a lot? No. The, the Old Testament is full of God's power, full of God doing amazing, amazing miracles. And what I want to focus in on is, we're going to look at Moses, and as we look at this, just look at the contrast of before Moses gave the Holy Spirit and afterwards and the difference that makes to his life. Um, so Moses, he was born into a generation that were enslaved by the Egyptians. He had a, he had a slightly unusual upbringing in that he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. That's the only thing that was different about him. He was a normal man. And then one day when he was an adult, he went out and he saw the Egyptians abusing one of his Israelite brothers. And he didn't like that. And he really didn't like it. He ended up murdering the Egyptian. He thought he'd done it in secret, but he got found out. So basically, Pharaoh tried to kill him, so he pegged it. He ran away. And he ran away hundreds of miles, and he set up a new life in a new place, probably never to be seen again. And that's who Moses was before God got his hand on him. He was a murderer. And he ran away. I've actually got one, thank you. I've got two now, I've got multiplication. Thank you. <laughs> so, so Moses was a runaway murderer, that's who he was. And then God turns up. And the power comes when God... So God turns up in a burning bush and basically says, I'm Moses. I want to use you. So, Exodus 7, 
This is the conversation that happens between God and Moses. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring out my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God's becoming an ordinary man. Basically, Moses' response is, huh? well, Who am I that I should go out to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Are you crazy? Which is basically what he was saying. And the conversation is longer than what we've got on the screen. But basically, God says to him, I will be with you. And of course, we read Exodus and we see incredible things happening. This is just a highlight. We've got the ten plagues, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, crossing the Red Sea, free manna. Imagine going to the supermarket and just grabbing food off the shelf and not having to pay for it. They just woke up every morning and the food was there. And it, they got a bit thirsty one day, and they, Moses just hit a rock, and water comes out of it. We got an incredible period of intense miracles going on. And it's the power of God working through this one man. Now, the Israelites, they were not filled with the power of God, in contrast. They were just standard people. And what happens is, later on, God says, I want to have a little meeting with you, Moses can you please come up a mountain and have a conversation with him? This is actually the, the occasion that the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. So you have this incredible scene. Um, and as I read this, try to picture what this is like in your mind's eye. Um, so this is the occasion where Moses goes up, to, uh, goes up to meet God. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpets grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, the, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. And the Lord descended onto Mount Sinai and called to Moses at the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. Can you, can you imagine what this was like to witness? This is massive, big Hollywood stuff, blockbuster movie except it was right there in front of them. But what happened? Moses goes up, and it's quite a long conversation up at the top of the mountain. In fact, the conversation lasts 40 days. And the, the Israelites, remember what I'm trying to point out, they don't have the Holy Spirit with them. They're down at the bottom of the mountain, and they go, I think Moses might have snuffed it. He's not coming back. I mean, look, there's fire up there. Well, um, what should we do? We've seen all these amazing miracles, but I guess if Moses is dead, maybe that God he was talking about is dead as well. I don't know. I know. Let's make a golden calf. Of course, that's the answer. So they make a golden calf. What do they do? Let's call it God and worship it. How amazing and profound that is. So you see, you've got the wisdom of Moses who's connected with God and learning the wisdom of God, and then you have, in contrast, the wisdom of standard man. And they just go off and do a really, really dumb thing. Um, there is one verse um, from First Samuel 10 that I actually just picked out this morning. And I think it really 
is the nugget of what I'm trying to get across here. Um, this is Samuel the prophet speaking to Saul, who's just been anointed king. And he's a normal guy. And basically, he's just, um, Saul has just had this powerful encounter with Samuel. And Samuel says to him, the spirit, of the, Lord will come, um, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you. You will prophesy with them, and you'll be changed into a different person. So you see here, Saul was a standard guy. And then, bam, the Holy Spirit comes. The Spirit of God comes on him, and he's transformed into a new person. I didn't actually want to use Saul as my big example, because it didn't turn out to be so good. Pretend he's a bad egg. So we'll, we'll ignore that one. All right. So that's the Old Testament. Was the Holy Spirit um, putting his feet up? No, he was not. He was very, very active. So we're now moving forward to Pentecost. What, what is the big deal about this Pentecost? If the Holy Spirit was hanging out in the Old Testament, so what about the Pentecost? What's the, what's the difference? The difference is, in the Old Testament, God... Um, used his Holy Spirit for just a few people. So the vast majority of people were unempowered. But when Pentecost came, things changed. Let's look into that. So, Starting with Jesus speaking in Luke 24. This is Jesus speaking just before he ascends to heaven. And he basically says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Clothed, clothed with what? Power from on high, yeah. So Jesus ascends to heaven. And there's about a 10-day period that the, guy, the, the, the disciples are waiting. Jesus is gone, he's ascended to heaven. And the disciples all go off and they go, right. Let's go and pray. And they, so they pray for 10 days. Then the apostles, this is Acts 1, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from, from literally seeing Jesus ascend from the, the, uh, the place called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. <laughs> so there they are, 10 days or so, and they're praying, and they're waiting, and they're praying, and they're waiting, and there's no power, there's no miracles, there's nothing big that's particularly taking place while they're doing that. And after 10 days, it's boom, the Holy Spirit turns up, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent uh, wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit <coughs> enabled them. Suddenly, they've gone from being standard individuals, standard people, and bang, the power of God has turned up and they are filled and empowered um, with his spirit. And we go on to read the next verse. 
Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under the heaven. Under heaven. When they heard this sound, they, they heard what was going on. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So when the disciples were waiting for the Holy Spirit, it says they were waiting in a room or in a house. They were in a, what appears to be a private place. They weren't down the synagogue. So I guess they would have come out of the house just spilling out with the power of God. And they didn't run around searching for a crowd to, to, to shout at and to, to witness to. They were just there. And it says here the crowds came to them because the power of God was so intense. They were like, what's going on here? Um, can anyone remember how many people were converted that day? 3,000. So there was no radio, no TV, no Facebook, no, not even a PA system. There was just a few people and their power of God. And on one day, 3,000 people were brought to Christ. I just want to read um, Acts 2.17. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit to all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So you see, this is the difference between Old and New Testament. Now the Holy Spirit is accessible to all people. I will pour out my spirit on all people, men and women. So the, the impact of the Holy Spirit in that community was massive, massive. And as we continue to read through the book of Acts, we see miracle after miracle after miracle. We also see persecution, which I think comes side in, hand in hand with that. Um, one of my favorite parts of Acts is Acts 5. The power is so intense that um, we find that people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Who wants a shadow like that? I'd like that. And I'd also like to point out, look, all of them were healed. Something was going on then that it's not happening today. Because when we pray today, we don't see 100% healing. And I want to come back at that, to that later on. Just hold on to that thought. So, everything I've been speaking of so far has been from the Bible, this book. But this is just 2,000 years old. Is it still relevant today? Or is it just you know, something to be thrown away? No way. We know, don't we, that the, that the Word of God is eternal, and that even when heaven and earth pass away, the words written in this book will still be valid. So yes, the Holy Spirit is very, very, very much alive and working today. There are thousands and thousands of miracles happening every day around the globe, every day. I want to share with you um, some ways in which God has affected my life. 
um, shares a couple of uh, personal stories. And I, I wish I could say that I had a powerful shadow, but I don't. I have had an, ex- an occasion where it was, a, it, was a, it was a conference and there was a word given that someone had one leg longer than the other. And for that person to come forward and people to come pray for them, I ran to the front because I wanted to be the one to hold the legs. And I was quite fast. I got the legs. So, and yeah, they sat square in the seat and the one leg was longer than the other. And I, I got lots of people praying for this person, but I got the feet. And in my hands, they, they, their feet grew. Cool. It was amazing. Um, although I don't have many big stories to share, the Holy Spirit in my life is working in so many ways. Most of the things I could share are just such a small example that it's not worth sharing, but there's example after example, example of God is speaking and working in my life again and again and again in many thousands of ways. Three things I do want to share with you. Um, Ten years ago, um, I was less confident. And the idea of standing up in front of uh, a crowd this size, even to give a notice, would just give me cold feet. Like, no way could I do that. And the church I was in had a week of prayer, literally solid, solid prayer, even through the night. And they allocated one hour slots, and you could sign up for prayer. And this was really cool and exciting. And I signed up, not just for one prayer, I signed up for three hours, which was kind of quite scary, because what do you do for three hours? It's a long time to pray. But I invested that three hours and it was one of the best three hours I've ever had. And at the end of those three hours, I had this speak, spirit speak to me. And he said, I want you to preach. And at that point, I was, I was sitting down. And I tell you, I got up. And I, st- I started pacing through the church. I thought, what? Me preach? Are you, are you mad? And I was pacing around the church thinking, oh. And within two minutes, I'd paced to the far end of the church. And I spied a leaflet on a chair. I picked it up and it said, would you like to, to learn to preach? <laughs> it's like, I think I've heard correctly. And oh, look, here I am 10 years later and I'm preaching. And I, I need to say to you that there is nothing I can do without the Holy Spirit inside of me. There's no way I could prepare a preach or present a preach if I didn't have the power of God inside of me. Absolutely no way. That's one example. Second example, oh, um, 2012, I went to, with my wife and family uh, to something called New Wine. It's a Christian festival, conference. A lot of you will know what it is. It's a week of camping. It's a week of church. Lots of worship, lots of teaching. It's great. And um, the format of, this, of the situation is, of the days, in the morning you have a big block of worship in a big tent with about 5,000 people. And then the evening you have a repeat of that. And there's lots of seminars in, in between. So I'm going along to these, um, to these worship sessions. And they're big and they're powerful and the bands are fantastic. And as I'm going along, there's something inside of me that wants to just come out, really come out. I didn't know what it was. just felt like it wanted to burst me. Every time I went to a session, um, this sensation got stronger and stronger and stronger. And it got to about halfway through the week. And it just so happened on that particular occasion, all the people we'd gone with got seats together in one row. So there was eight couples in total. And then we started the worship. And then 
this thing came in me again. It was like, oh, this urge. And I, I felt myself having to just leave where I was, I was standing and just walk a few hours away. I engaged with worship again. And what happened is I got a phenomenal revelation of God's holiness. And you can't describe that at all. But I just felt this immenseness of his holiness. And my response, I burst. It was the middle of this word. I literally burst and I screamed at the top of my voice, Holy God! Holy God! Again and again and again for about a minute or so. But the embarrassment factor was limited to some degree because this place is really loud and there's 5,000 people worshipping. So it's actually only the nearest 100 people that I embarrassed myself in front of. But including this string of friends, they, I was in just about an earshot of them. They couldn't hear what I was saying. But they certainly saw that I was having a moment. <laughs> and they all looked at me, and then they all turned and looked at my wife. And my wife said, I'm just worshipping here. <laughs> um, but on that day, I was changed. God gave me a gift. It was a gift of knowing and perceiving his holiness. And also from that, Often you will find me on my knees in worship. He's given me the gift of worship because when I meet that holy God that I was introduced to on that day, I can do nothing but, uh, but just be on my knees before him. Sometimes even prostrate because we have a holy, holy God and he is amazing. And the last thing I want to share, and I make myself very vulnerable with this one, you'll understand as I share it, a few weeks ago, we had um, a week of evening prayer just before Easter, didn't we? Many of you were there. And thanks to my lovely wife, I was able to go to every single evening session. And at least two evenings for me were profoundly powerful. I really met God in a really deep way. So much so that when I woke up on Good Friday morning, when I opened my eyes in bed, I just knew I was different. God had empowered me equipped me in some way during that week. I was something new. I really, really felt it. And to bring out a specific an example of that, going back a few more months, Stuart had asked me if I'd consider service leading on a Sunday morning. And I told him, actually, I can't do that because in my old church, I was an elder, so I had to do service leading, and I hated it. And because I hated it, I was rubbish at it. And because I was rubbish at, at it, I hated it. So I said, sorry, Stuart, that's not my bag. I'm not going to do that one. Thank you. So we get to the week of prayer that I've just mentioned. And it's the last, um, the last day this Thursday evening. And Stuart comes up to me again, and he says, I know I've asked you before, but would you reconsider the service leading thing? And in my head, my thought pattern goes, you've asked me already. And out of mouth comes quite a rude no. And I was like, sorry, Stuart, didn't mean to come out that rude. And then Stuart, in a sort of prophetic way, just said to me, it's in you, James. I'm like, okay. I'll think about it. So I didn't have to think very long. Because as I drove home that evening, from that last evening of that prayer week, uh, the Holy Spirit very clearly spoke to me and said to me, I want you to service lead. And I was like, oh, okay. But at the same time, I knew somehow during that week he had equipped me. 
somewhere inside me, I've got a new upgrade. And the reason I'm making myself vulnerable here is because you may not have noticed I haven't service-led yet. <laughs> and I've said to Stuart, I'm going to do it. And what if I'm rubbish? Uh, so please be nice to me when I do it, <laughs> even if I'm rubbish. You know, you, I'm up here preaching, and you're probably thinking, if you can preach, you can service-lead. It's a different game. It is. So that's my three examples um, that I want to share with you. So God has been investing, me, investing in me for 24 years. Uh, first of all, he was repairing me, but now he's given me upgrades. And the upgrades are really cool, and you just get to use them to serve God. So that's my life. Um, but what about you guys? What about the rest of the planet? What does the Holy Spirit do for you? That, these are examples of what he's done for me. If you can think of anything that's wrong in your life or anything that's wrong in the world, the Holy Spirit can fix these things. And in many occasions, he does fix these things. So maybe the question to ask is, what are the limits of the Holy Spirit? And there are no limits. There are no limits. Um, I would describe it as a fix-all. You've got a problem, go to the Holy Spirit and pray. And we, I'm going to be talking about that in a little while. thing is, the Holy Spirit is so powerful, he's even defeated death through Christ dying on the, on the cross. Death is even defeated by God's power. The way of looking at this, um, most of us now in this room will have a mobile phone on us, won't we? And it doesn't matter whether you've got the flagship model or you've got a dinosaur that's got lots of buttons. They've all got one thing in problem, these phones. They are going flat. The battery capacity is going down, 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 down. All of us will have to go home at some point and plug in our phones to, to charge them up, won't we? If we don't, like a phone I had six months ago, it, after one year, it just packed up. You know, your little, the little socket? I changed the cable, I changed the charger. Didn't matter what I did, I could, the phone was broken, the socket was. And the phone is useless to me. It's turned into a brick. And without power in our phones, they are bricks, paperweights. We're actually somewhat similar. We have a battery inside of us, don't we? The battery lasts a bit longer than a mobile phone, 80, 90, 100 years or so. And then, then we expire. That's it. Our battery runs out and we die. And the world science is looking into a solution for this, aren't they? Perhaps we can tweak the DNA a bit and we'll live forever. I haven't found the answer yet. But I have got good news for you. Heaven has a cure for this through Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is to plug in to God, plug into the salvation of Christ, plug into the, to the Holy Spirit. Um, and obviously, as I've been preaching, I've been saying that I have the Holy Spirit. I'm carrying that. And you know, I've mentioned technology. Technology now has got to such an advanced de degree that they've invented something now that you can actually see the Holy Spirit inside of somebody. Actually, through technology. Would you like to see this technology? Because I have, at great expense for myself, invested in this technology. Do you want to see it? Can we just kill the lights, please, on the stage? 
And as I unbutton my shirt, <laughs> Stewart's is now really right. What sort of a weirdo has he let loose on the stage? Yeah, exactly. I've got more buttons than I realised. Can you? Can you see that? Can you see that it's actually animated? So if, if you're at the back, it says it says charging. You see, I need the lights on now. I can see so I can see my notes. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not dying. My body's dying, but my spirit and my soul, I'm plugged into Jesus. I'm plugged into the salvation of Jesus. I'm plugged into the Holy Spirit, and I have his power inside of me. We sung a song, didn't we? You called my name, and I ran out of the grave. Yeah? My name was called, I have run out of the grave, and I am plugged into Jesus Christ. We must remain plugged in. We can't charge up once and run away. If we live the life of Christ, we have to stay plugged in, charging constantly. Because actually our spiritual batteries are rubbish and they drain out really quickly. So we must live a life in communion with, with Jesus Christ. Do you want what I've got? Many of you have it already. But there may be some here that haven't got this, this power of God plugged into, into you. Um, to make this question really simple, I'm going to use a a chess game is an illustration, which I've stolen from another preacher. It's not my idea. A chess game is very simple. Each person has a turn, and each person gets to make one move. Okay, so God gets the first move because he's God. <laughs> and his first move was creating the world. So God creates the world. He creates Adam and Eve. And he says, hello, Adam and Eve. I'm your God. Look after the planet for me. Look after the garden. Oh, by the way, don't mess with the tree of life. Don't touch it. Don't eat anything from it. So that was God's first move, creation. Adam and Eve go, come along and they go, what should we do? Oh, that, that tree looks nice. Let's eat from that. So that was their move. They, they, they did exactly what they shouldn't do. And they ate from the tree of life. And they basically brought sin into the world. They broke the world. And so, it's, so that was man's first move at the chess game. So now it's God's turn. He goes, okay, that was smart, wasn't it? What should we do to fix it? And what he did to fix it was his son, Jesus Christ. So God sent his son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for us. He rose again and has now ascended to heaven. And it's a simple matter that if anybody believes in Jesus, serves Jesus, said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, they can be saved from the sin that Adam and Eve brought into the world. Simple. Um, so that was God's second chess move, to provide a solution. And now the fourth move, um, our move again, we get to make as individuals. It's an individual choice. And it's a simple move. Do we accept Jesus or not? It's as simple as that. Do we accept Jesus or not? And it's our decision. There's no point ping pointing fingers at God and saying, well, God, why did you make me this way? Why, why did you make the world this, this way? No, our turn. 
and we get to choose. And if you've, if you've never made that choice, um, then I really encourage you, maybe at the end, just come forward for prayer. Stuart has already given an invitation. But come and get plugged into God. I promise you, it's absolutely amazing. So, how do we get more of God in our lives? Oh, right. Um, I've given it away now, haven't I? I want to draw on, um, on Stuart's talk from two weeks ago when he talked about his, his, his butt. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. Um, Stuart talks about being poured out. How do we get more of God? By being less of us. The illustration of the water bite is simple. That If you don't use the water in there, it goes stale and stagnant. You've got to use the water and then fresh water replaces it. That is the same for us. We have to surrender ourselves fully to God and surrender and empty ourselves. And when we make space by emptying and surrendering ourselves, the Holy Spirit can come in and replace that stuff. They've replaced the stuff that we thought was good. But actually, the stuff that God puts back in is way better. It may not look the same, like the same thing. It may look like a different shape. But God's way is so much better than, than our way. You know, we, uh, we've had a couple of people say the words things that are lost from words that were given. When we lose things, we can tend to try and hold on to what we've got harder. That's not the way it should work with God. If you've been hurt by life or hurt by God or whatever, the solution is just to release everything to God. And God will replace the, the, the pain. And it will, God will replace the good things. Let go of the good things as well. God will always replace it. Um, Albert sent me a text yesterday. Thank you, Albert. And I'm going to steal the quote that was on there. There was this missionary, Jim Elliot. Um, and he said this. He's no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Everything that we have today on this planet is going. If we're trying to grab hold of the stuff that we own today, it has no value in eternity. Let us surrender our lives wholly to him. And in doing so, we can receive more of God and more of the Holy Spirit. Um, Chris, last week, the, the guest speaker, he mentioned something which I want to pick up on. Well, actually, I'd already planned to say it, so he stole my thunder. And that was, he said we're on the cusp of something, didn't he? The cusp of a new wave of God. And I, really, I know there are others that believe God is going to move in a really powerful way. Sometimes soon. In what way exactly? I don't know. I hope it will look something like Acts. I do believe there's something very, very powerful coming. But I want to point out something. Of all, all the examples I've brought to you this morning, they have one thing in common. They have people investing time, energy, and prayer before God moves. So we have the Israelites who are enslaved by the Egyptians. And 
they cried out to God. They cried to God, and Moses, uh, and Moses brought the miracles. And God brought the miracles through Moses, and they were taken out. And then the disciples, they invested three years of their lives with Jesus. And then they had that 10 days of just waiting, waiting and praying and praying. And then bang, the Holy Spirit comes. And then the three examples that I gave, in every situation, I was investing my time or my prayer into something. And then God gave me a power-up. And I'm certainly not saying that when we pray, things happen every time. We know that. But God calls us to pray, doesn't he? He calls us to pray in the things that we want. And I know there's a room full of people here who have, some of us are full of joy, some of us are not full of joy, some of us have broken bits. It doesn't matter where we're coming from, the Holy Spirit is fixed all. And we can pray in God to fix that, can't we? And it, when should we stop praying? Never. So, Normally the preacher at this point gets down and says, thank you very much, let's do a bit of worshipping. But I want to do something a bit different this morning. I want to get you guys being a bit more proactive because I'm hungry. I'm really hungry to see God move in a powerful way. And I think we are on a cusp of something. So you, are you guys up for engaging in a bit of prayer? Yeah? Yeah, so if I ask the band to come back, and we'll, we will go straight into... Uh, to worship afterwards. But let's start by praying. Let's start by calling, out, calling to our God and saying, Lord, would you come? Would you come and heal our nation? Would you come and move in our lives and change? We are hungry for a new move. We're hungry for a new wave. I don't think this generation has seen much but I think the generation, we're on the cusp of a new move of God, I hope. So let's pray it in, guys. Should we all stand to make it a bit more? So if we just want to start praying, playing quietly. Let's just, um, let's just start beginning with praying out all together. So we're just calling and asking for God to move with his power.